0: time for the Vintage Truth podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher Jeff Kinley. All right, welcome to the Vintage Truth podcast. I'm Jeff Kinley and I'm really I'm really impressed that so many of you are listening to these podcasts. Uh, we are uh, our, our numbers are growing and I want you to be able to not just listen but to subscribe. I mean go to the, your subscribe button there and on the podcast app and just click subscribe or go to uh, podomatic.com and you can uh, type in vintage truth there and you could subscribe there either way or on your google play app either way you can subscribe and also would you be willing just to share this with a friend say hey i'm listening to some cool podcasts here and i'm really learning a lot about the bible and about life and about god and so that's the way it happens. You know, it's not by renting out billboards. It's by people telling people on Facebook and Instagram and social media and Twitter and everything else. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, share this with a friend, if indeed you're, um, being ministered to by these podcasts. Also, we're heading into the holiday season here soon. And, uh, I will probably not have a podcast this coming Friday because it's the day after Thanksgiving, but that's all good. Um, But I would go ahead and ask you now to pray for my ministry that I can go ahead and continue expanding not my name, but the message of the Word of God, the vintage truth of the Bible, uh, so that people can know more about Jesus Christ and how to connect with Him in their daily lives and what He says in His Word. And of course, His Word is filled with Incredibly relevant material. It's like irrelevant Bible truth is an oxymoron because it's all relevant to us. So we're talking about discipleship here on the Vintage Truth podcast, and uh, we've been looking at Luke chapter nine, and um, we talked about last time the the disciples' relationship with his self, and about how self has to be dethroned and how Christ does that effectively. But let's talk about the very next verse in Luke nine. Uh, 25, he says, For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or loses his soul? His soul, another translation or another passage rather says. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? And so that begs a very important question What is the relationship of a disciple to this world? I mean, what Christ is really doing here is affirming the unspeakable value of the human soul. You ever thought about that for a second? I mean, you probably traded things in the past. You probably said, Hey, here's a, you know, here's a book. I'll trade you this book for that. Or I'll, I trade you, i trade you a guitar for, you know, a trumpet or an amplifier or something. I mean, people trade things all the time back and forth, but you only trade something based upon what you think it's worth because people are only willing to pay for things an amount that they think it has that value does that make sense you go to a garage sale or a flea market or something you look at something i'm not going to pay that that's not worth that to me but you know what it probably is to somebody so here's the question what is your soul worth what is the value on your soul And Jesus actually gives us an idea about about what the value of the human soul is when he says you could gain the entire world. What does he mean by that? Well all of the prestige, all of the money, all the materialism, all of the fame, all that the world can give you, you could have all of that and that would still not measure up to the value of your soul. So in other words, It would be a foolish exchange to trade your soul in order to get all those things from the world. And yet Jesus Christ goes even further when he says that he died for us, that he paid the the eternal damnation penalty for our sins so that our souls could go to heaven. So what all does the world, you know, have to offer us? and what's out there in the world well there's there's worldly things there's materialism there's places to go and things to see and and fun and enjoyment all those things some of those things are good but i see a lot of christians today that are accumulating things instead of purging their lives of things that really own them i see people who are going after money Now, it's not wrong to make money, and it's not wrong to make a whole lot of money. I've had the privilege of being in the presence of some extremely wealthy Christians, but who manage their money well. So it's not about how much money you have. It's whether or not the money has you. And Jesus says there's not enough money printed in the world that's worth losing your soul over. So it's a priority thing. It's not a a good or evil thing. It's a priority thing. So what do we mean when Jesus says gaining the whole world? Well, the word world is, depending on the context, depending on the word used, is is translated world in our English Bible. But in the Greek, there are different words for world. For example, when it says, for God so loved the world, it's not talking about the trees and the mountains and the lakes and the valleys and the streams. It's talking about people. When we talk about creation in Romans 8 the the whole world groans for redemption that's talking about the actual physical creation in the world that the world itself has been sin cursed and it longs as it were for the day when it will be remade and, and turned into a new heavens and a new earth so there's that definition of world but then there's a third definition of world and it's the definition that we see in Romans chapter 12 and in Romans 12 Paul tells us, actually he, he beseeches us, he begs us by the mercies of God to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service or worship. In other words, it's the normal worship thing to do to give God your body. But then he says, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This word for world here means the age that you're in. It's talking about the spiritual set of values and principles and morals and a way of thinking about life. And there is a way of thinking about life in the world today. And the world places value on certain things and certain people and certain ways of doing things in life. And God says, no, there's a whole other way of doing stuff. And you can find that in my word. But don't allow the world to to literally press you into its mold. It's like, remember when you used to play with, with Play-Doh and you would press play into a mold and then you'd take it out and it'd be like a starfish or, you know, an anchor or you know, whatever it was, it would be, be that mold. That's exactly what we're talking about here. The world always exerts outside pressure for us to become something or to think a certain way or to have a certain belief or to act a certain way or to be a certain kind of husband or wife or employee or student or whatever. That's There's a worldly way. And so when we talk about worldliness, we're not talking about how you dress. We're talking about music. talking about music styles we're talking about values so worldliness is a way of valuing things so if, if for example if we value materialism or if we value happiness or if we put a value on you know making a lot of money or having a lot of friends if those are our values and those values are greater and drive our lives more fully and more energetically than our relationship with following Jesus Christ, then that that worldliness has become a part of our lives. And those worldly things can eventually choke out our desire for God. And one reason why some of us have so little desire for God is because we've allowed so many other things in life to influence our appetites, and influence our desires. I I feel the pressure of being in the world every day. There's no escape from it. You, You can go up into the cloisters of the Himalayas and become a monk, but there's still just the spirit of the age that's there. You can't totally get away from it. Well, we live in the world, and we're supposed to be in the world. Jesus Pray to the Father that he would not remove us from the world, but to protect us from the evil one who is the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4 four tells us. So Satan is controlling the spirit of the age. And the spirit of the age is trying to pressure us into being something. And sometimes we conform to that pressure because we believe the lies that the world tells us about life, about relationships, about sexuality and sex about how we view our jobs about just what makes us content and happy there's a worldliness there and in fact it's very interesting in first john chapter two john is writing to believers and and this is what he says if i could find it here yeah, 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, this is what uh, John writes. He says, do not love the world. Now, wait a minute. It says God so loved the world. Now, he's telling us not to love the world. Well, it's two different meanings here, two different uh, words. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world, the things that the world provides is what it's saying. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, that's pretty black and white right there, isn't it? if you love the world, if your affections are for the world, then your affections are not for God. Simple. Well, what's in the world, God? Well, John tells us in the next verse, for all that is in the world, he gives us three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So you've got this satanically organized value system in the world that emanates three things. It emanates the lust of the flesh. It's what pleases my flesh. What gives my body pleasure? Food? Sex? What else? Whatever makes your body happy. He says, that's the lust of the flesh. And the word lust just means strong desire. It's all it means. The strong desire of the flesh or the strong desire of the eyes. That what the eyes see, the eyes want. That could refer to anything from sexual pleasure to materialism. To just, I see being someone out there that's greater than I am, has a, a greater platform of influence or someone that, as makes more money. I want that. I see that with my eyes and I want that, that whole greed there. That's of the world. Then it says in the boastful pride of life, you know, Satan wants you to think highly of yourself. And the most popular preachers in America today, the most successful preachers in America today are those who are telling you how to feel good about yourself, how to be a better you. How to be your best self. How to have your greatest day. I mean, read the memes that come across your Facebook feed. And a lot of these are just full of just feeding the boastful pride of life. Building up yourself. And see, that's where Satan is so subtle. Because there's a difference between building up your faith and who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ. And just building up yourself to feel good about yourself. And you're not going to find a verse in the whole Bible that tells you you're supposed to walk around just feeling good about yourself. That's not what life is about. That's the boastful pride of life. Now, you're going to feel good about what your life is producing and about who you're becoming if you're following Christ. But it's a far cry from just simply building up yourself. That's the boastful pride of life. And he says that didn't come from the Father. So those people who are saying these things are not speaking from the Father. They're false prophets. And then he says, and the world is passing away and also all of its desires, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. I mean, God is saying right here, he's telling you ahead of time, this ship is going to strike an iceberg. Do not buy a ticket on this ship. This city is going to be nuked in World War II. Don't move there a week ahead of time. This area is going to collapse under a huge sinkhole or get hit by an earthquake. Don't buy a house there right now. God is giving us a warning ahead of time that the world's going to pass away. Why would you want to put all your money and all your time and all your energy on something that's going to fail? Why bet on a failed candidate? Why bet on a horse that has two broken legs? And yet the world props up that horse and says, no, 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 it's a thoroughbred. Place your bets. So this this world and all that's in it chokes out our desires for God. And secondly, sometimes we live like this world really is our home. We live like this world really is our home. And yet the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 117, it says, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth. <laughs> this is, it's like a stopping point on a journey. It's like something, it's a rest stop. It's a place you pull over and park for a while, but it's not your final destination. It, it's just a place where you rest for a while, a place where you pull over. It's not, it's not the destination. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, gives us some more insight on this thing in hebrews 11 and verse 13 the author says this he says speaking of these heroes of faith he says all these died in faith without receiving the promises and having seen them and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles upon the earth First Peter also tells us in chapter 2, verse 11, that we are aliens on this planet. We're the aliens. We're the people that don't belong here. The world is in the hands of the evil one, and our home is in heaven. In fact, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await a Savior, Jesus Christ. Guess what? Whenever you travel internationally, it's fun. It's great to go visit places. You take pictures and post them. Isn't that fun? But you just go, you know, I don't live here. This is not my bed. These are not my people. This is not my neighborhood. My family's not here. This is not my home. And after a while, despite all the fun you might have, you just you just go, hey, I, I, I want to go home. I want to go home. And so that perspective that we get that this is not our final home helps us to not drive down our tent pegs too deep and invest too much into this life. Everything you invest, whether it's investing in your family in your job, your money, everything needs to, needs to be sent on to eternity. That's why pouring yourself into other people is the most important thing you could ever do in your life because that goes on forever, right? So, Don't drive those tent pegs down too deeply. Don't be too attached to the things of this world. That's what happened to Lot's wife. Do you remember that story? When the angels came and rescued Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah before God nuked it and just made it glow in the desert. It says Lot's wife turned back and was looked back, it says, rather, and was turned into a pillar of salt. Well, what actually happened was she didn't just like glance back and like Medusa, you know, become a stone pillar of salt. That's not how it happened. What really happened was she didn't want to leave. She was so attached to that city that she was so lagging behind that the blast caught up with her. You don't want that to happen. final thing is that sometimes we want approval from the world, because we're trying to please other people. Jesus said in John 15, he said, hey guys, remember this. If the world hates you, and by the way, they're going to hate you eventually. The the world system hates who you are and what you do. You know why? Because you don't belong to this world. They recognize it. It says in verse 19, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Then he goes on to say, are you any better than I I am? Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. Because a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours as well. So the world is not going to stand up and applaud you for being different. Now, we're in the world, right? We penetrate into the world. We're embedded into the world. We we have to go to jobs. We enjoy things in the world. It's not a moral, immoral kind of thing that way. It's when those values start getting a part of us and start affecting our affections and driving the course of our lives and causing us to make choices that tell us that our allegiance really more is to this life than it is to the next I love what Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3 say. Paul just said, hey, since you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God the Father. For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, being a disciple means your eyes are on another world, that you're looking for another planet, another place, It's called planet heaven. It's a place that you're gonna spend eternity. And everything we're experiencing right now prepares us for that. So yes, we can enjoy things in this world. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's the worldly values that we have to watch out for. Watch out for those values creeping in your heart, and your marriage, your relationships, with your children, and your job. Godly perspectives on everything is what God wants us to have. And that is what a disciple does. A disciple is looking for a savior that's coming from another world. Discipleship. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.